Hey, can we lift up a shout of praise? Get loud really quick. Come on, guys. For our King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the reason we're in this room. Are you happy to be in church today? You guys are chipper. I like this. Me too. I think we're going to get along great. So give away one high five if you're feeling crazy, two high fives, and then you can take a seat. And welcome to Red Rocks Church. We are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. He loves you exactly the way you walked in here and way too much to let any of us walk out of here the same. And what we don't need to happen today is for this to be a human thing and just do church. We don't, we don't wake up super early now that we have a 9 a.m. service and change this entire building, which is not made for a church at all, into a church just so we can sing some songs and hear some jokes and talk about God and go home. We come here to experience the living God and, and, and be transformed from the inside out because that's what our God does and that's what's gonna happen today. And so I'm gonna have you pray with me in just one second, um, but I wanna challenge you right here. I don't know if, uh, if this whole Jesus thing, this Christianity thing, this God of everything, knowing you by name thing has become ordinary or mundane to you. Uh, I know that King David has a Psalm where he wrote, it's Psalm 51, I believe, where he says, restore to me, God, the joy of my salvation. In other words, I remember how crazy this was when you first saved me. And I first realized, God, that you were real and that you knew my name and had plans for me. I remember how crazy it was when this whole church started even 11 months ago. And, and, and here's the thing about joy and, and being in awe and wonder of God is that it's like a bucket that, that leaks. Your salvation doesn't leak, but, but according to David, your joy leaks. And I want to challenge you, do not fall temptation to letting the joy of your salvation leak in your life. Or letting, like, this is crazy what God is doing in this church in just 11 months. And we can be tempted as we grow as a church and as we get older for it to become mundane and ordinary. And I just pray, God, never let that happen to us. Never let us get used to having front row seats to do, to see what you're doing in Austin. And so restore to us the joy of our salvation today. I want to pray that for everybody in here. And I want to invite the, the presence of God in this place. I know he's already here, but there's something the Bible calls the manifest presence of God, where God, first of all, is always present like oxygen. But there's some times where he shows up in a, a crazy way where you can almost feel his presence like on your skin. And it's those moments that we experience as a family and we walk out of here not the same as we walked in. And he says, the Bible says, all you have to do to experience that is sometimes just ask. And so we're going to ask, and specifically where two or more are gathered, ask. And so I want to pray that, and I want to ask you to pray it and believe it with me. Does that sound good? So God, we love you. Jesus, don't let this be a human thing today. Let us encounter your presence and lift your name high. Jesus, we see you as king, as our savior, and as our Lord. We love you and join us here for your glory. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and everybody said, amen. It was October of 2011. Ethan and I were driving around downtown San Diego one evening in my white Saturn view. It's the ultimate soccer mom car. We were listening to a song called Where I Belong by Switchfoot on their Vice Versus album when this happened because I remember driving downtown San Diego and feeling the calling for the very first time to plant a church one day. 
And I remember calling Ryan, and, and uh, we started dreaming right then and there. God, you, you've put it on our hearts. We want to plant a church one day. We just want to reach people in the name of Jesus. And, and the, the timing wasn't there. And really quick, this is another sermon for another day, but it might be for somebody in this room. There is a difference between God's calling and God's timing. Oftentimes, the calling can come. And then the timing is not until you're ready for it, or at least more ready for it. I wouldn't say we're ready for this now. I think we are as ready for it as we ever could be. I know for a fact, October of 2011, we were not, in fact, ready to plant a church. But we were driving around and, and thinking, um, one day we're going to plant a church in San Diego is where we were going to do it. Because we're, we're just beach guys. We love the ocean, love to surf. Just God, get us to San Diego. It's the closest thing we have to new earth on this planet. Heaven on earth, right? And specifically La Jolla. God, if you can work that out, we'll go there in the name of Jesus. And uh, we're going to call this church Harbor City Church. That's what we wanted to call the church. And to this day, I still have a hard drive or a thumb drive at home that has a logo, that has uh, graphics and some videos and a bunch of just vision written out for the church that we were going to go start. We had our plan. We wanted to do our thing. We wanted to make it ours. We saw other people, other groups of friends go and do things similar. And for us, we were like, man, God, he's calling us to do this. And uh, one day he will. Um, because we just wanted to tell people about Jesus. We had all started following him about a year or two before that in college. And, uh, man, it's just one of those things where it's like once you, once, once you know that he is king, once you know that he is savior, once you know that he is Lord, Acts 4.20 says, I just like, I can't help but speaking about what I've seen and I've heard. And I can't shut up about this. And so we just got to make Jesus famous and glorify his name as many people as possible who can know Jesus through us. That would be like life's worth living to us. And I said this a few weeks ago because we've been asking the question in this series, Modern Jesus, is Jesus still relevant in 2019? And why on earth should I follow a Jewish carpenter who 2,000 years ago was born in Palestine? Like he was a great guy. He's inspirational to me now. But why should he like affect my life beyond inspiration? Why should I follow him, right? In a modern world, surely this guy from way back in the day like, is no longer that relevant, right? Like, we got iPhones, we got In-N-Out Burger, we got Terry Black's Barbecue, we got Siri, we got Whole Foods and Amazon Prime and mindfulness, right? Like, we are, like we've created a modern world, and the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the question is, is a guy who never changes relevant in a culture that does? Why should I follow Jesus? A lot of people are asking that question. You might be. It's a great question to ask. And I'll just reiterate what, what we talked about two weeks ago when we made the point that Jesus is king. You do need faith to believe that Jesus is the son of God. That takes faith. That's why we call this whole thing faith, right? In a God that we cannot see. However, you do not need any faith at all to see his very visible impact. The impact of his influence and the magnitude of his movement on this planet is everywhere that you look. Even our calendar, BCAD, is based on the life of Jesus, which means every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every religion is telling time 
based on a fugitive baby who was born in a cave 2,000 years ago. Your birthday, my birthday, your mom's birthday, and that's not a mama joke, I'm just making a point. All of our birthdays are measured based on Jesus' birthday. We are recording history based on the life of Jesus. Is he still relevant? You can't look at a calendar. You can't look at a, at a map. Go look at a map of the world later today and try and count. You won't be able to. All the cities named after followers of Jesus. And Jesus, like, he never tried to immortalize his legacy. He never forced a soul to follow him. Never made a statue of himself. And yet he's everywhere that we look. The torture device that Rome used to crucify him is now the most recognizable symbol on the planet. And the most popular jewelry pendant and tattoo no name is used more to bless or to cuss, right? Jesus is everywhere. His wake is like a wildfire that cannot be stopped. And so let me just say this to you. Guys, good dead guys, dead good guys, good teachers back in the day do not leave wakes like this in their past. Every human being, all of us, when we die, whatever our influence and impact is from that moment on starts to slowly decrease and once again leak out. And that is true for every human being except for one. Jesus has supernaturally inverted this human, this normal human trajectory of influence and impact. Dead good guys don't leave wakes like this. Demons don't shudder at the names of dictators or tyrants. Death does not bow to the rich and the famous. Good teachers don't divide history in half. These are the things reserved for the King of kings and the Lord of lords alone. He is king. He is savior. Today, the title for this message, he is Lord. For us, we, we realize this and like, man, well, we, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard because Romans 10, 9 says this right here. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and really quick, just so we're all clear on what we mean when we say Lord, the Greek word for Lord is the word kurios right there. And it comes from the word kuros, that's where it's derived from, which means authority. So what do lords have that you and I don't have? Ultimate I mean, you have some. He has ultimate authority, all the authority in the universe. That's what it means to be Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, Jesus was a good teacher until he died and then was hanging out with his followers a few days after that. Like when you die, and, like that's what separates good teachers from lords. That's how rabbis become lords. They walk out of the tombs that they borrow, and all authority is now theirs. The Great Commission from the, the Passion Translation, this is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Here it is. Then Jesus came close to them and said, which right there is crazy because he was dead a few days ago, and now he's coming to them and saying this, meaning whatever he's about to say, we're going to listen. All the authority, there it is again, of the universe has been given to me. So now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So last thing he says before he floats up into heaven and into the clouds. 
and leaves the mission of the church with us. And so we're reading that and thinking, okay, Jesus is our Lord. People need to know about Jesus. In fact, he's given us this, this charge, this great commission to go into the world and tell people about him. So we're going to do it. We're going to plan a church. we got all these plans. It's going to be our thing. It's going to be in our, in our city. And then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, it is August of 2016, almost five years later, and Jesus starts to change all of our plans. So if you've ever set out with plans, and then they get changed, you might be following Jesus. It's when your plans have never been changed on your journey of faith that you have to question, am I, am I actually following Jesus, or, or, or do I just believe in him, right, as my savior, because it costs you nothing to believe in Jesus. However, to follow him will cost you everything. But I want you to get this. Christianity is not just about heaven forever one day after I die. That's great, and that is, I'll say it this way, that's linked to Jesus as my Savior. But Christianity is so much, it's also about life, zoe, abundant life in the here and now which doesn't start the moment you take your final breath. It starts the moment that you get saved. Jesus is here to bring life and life to the full, and that is found not in Jesus as my Savior, but Jesus as my Lord. In other words, Jesus has the authority in my life. He's given me free will, but it's almost when I give whatever, whatever authority free will is that he delegates to me. It's when I give that back and line my life up with how he designed the universe to work that I start walking in life and life to the full. You have to understand, God puts commandments and guidelines in the Bible not because he's trying to rob your fun from you. I promise you, God is way more for your joy, your peace, your happiness, your character, and your fun than you could ever be for yourself. He's simply just trying to get you to go with the grain of the universe that he designed, right? And we have free will. You can go against the grain of the universe, but you'll get splinters. And all of us, if we pass this microphone around, could tell stories and testimonies about going against the grain of the universe God designed and getting splinters from it. And so uh, I was a good kid growing up. Ryan, do you have that? Can I, can I see this? I was a good kid growing up. I have a saw as a visual aid, love visual aids, and uh, it's just a public speaking uh, tool, trick of the trade, And because you won't forget this now. You just watch. So I was a good kid growing up. In fact, Ryan and I, we're brothers, best friends, 18 months apart. We've never had a fight in our lives. Most people are shocked by that. We've never fought about anything. Uh, my mom is probably watching this later. She can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I can count on one or two hands the amount of times I, like, rebelled or talked back to my parents. Once I hit college, rebellion was a different story. I kind of took it to another level. But before that, like, I could, like, five to ten times. And here's, here's just one of the stories. When I was seven, uh, earlier that year for Christmas, my parents gave me a toolbox, a toolkit, a real toolkit full of real tools, Okay, and I had a real saw in there. So this isn't it. We just found this in the shed out there. But it was, it was smaller than this, made for kids. But it was, in fact, 
real, okay? Which begs the question, like, if you're, like, any parent might ask, like, why on earth would you give a seven-year-old a real saw? And you're going to hear the rest of the story and begs this question also, am I really the culprit in this story or am am I actually the seven-year-old victim? Because I came home from school one afternoon just bored out of my mind and was unsupervised thinking, I have a saw and I'm seven, so what am I going to do? There was a 25-foot tree in our neighbor's front yard, about the, up to that ceiling right there. And if you're like, I know where this is going, yes, you do. Because I was bored, and so I took my brand-new saw and went into our neighbor's yard, and two hours of unsupervised fun later, managed to cut down. Like the trunk was like that thick, cut through the whole thing and pushed it down. And that's, what I, that's the scene I think of now every time I hear Timber by Kesha, which is every day at the gym, every day. All the way down, man, the whole tree. My dad came home from work that day, and now I see things like from my dad's perspective because I'm a dad now, and I just imagine him in his car, exhausted. He's a hard worker. Oh, it's been such a long day. I can't wait to get home to my wife and my kids and play some father and son catch. Best part of my day. Turns onto the street and sees me standing there in my neighbor's yard, just a saw in my hand, and thinks, there is my son, my eldest son, with whom I am well pleased. Wait a second, there used to be a tree there. Oh, wait a second, it is there. It's just horizontal now instead of vertical. Wait a second, he's got that saw that I bought. Dang it. (laughs) He was so mad. And after he went to my neighbors and told them the whole thing, and after he got rid of the tree, he talked to me, like he, he sat me down and said, son, you are grounded from your bike for three months. For three months, which is a big deal. And this is like my earliest memory of, uh, of like uh, being a smart attitude kid is this right here. And uh, this is like ultimate, ultimate authority rebellion right here because I looked at my dad and I said, good, I hate my bike. <laughs> which wasn't true. Oh, man. His face when I said that, it was like, how about <laughs> I give you a 10-second head start And you run and just pretend your life depends on it right now. (laughs) So my dad gave me the saw, but what I did with it was up to me, right? So I want you to get this because this is free will. This is free will. You and I have free will, okay? It's the same exact thing. Some good parents in this room might be wondering or asking the question, why would you give your seven-year-old kid, a real saw? It's a good question. You know what else is a good question? God, why would you give an entire planet full of broken and imperfect people free will? Especially when you got the foreknowledge to know what they're going to do with it. Because you can do what you want today only because he's letting you. Not because we're, we're equal with him. All authority in the universe is his. You have free will only because he gave it to you in the first place. And when you say Jesus is Lord, and you make that decision and confess that with your mouth, what you are now saying is, Jesus, I'm going to use the free will you've given me to now honor and live for you. This is not popular in 2019 to say, Jesus, you decide how I spend my money. You decide what I do or don't do this weekend, right? 
so against the grain of our culture. Like how many of your non-Christian friends are like super into tithing and purity, right? (laughs) It's so, believing in Jesus will cost you nothing. Following him will cost you. And you will look weird to the people around you. You will look weird. And so when Jesus starts throwing all these audibles at us, saying, hey, guys, you want to plant a church? I gave you that. That's good. You have been called. And thank you for your patience to be a little bit more ready than you were in October of 2011. I think we waited long enough so that we, we started making a shift to see Jesus as Savior, yes. We saw him as Savior from, from day one. But to start seeing him as Lord, who has ultimate authority, who can call the shots in our lives. See, our culture says, like, you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not my boss. You're not my daddy. Except with God, that's where that falls through. As Lord, yeah, I, I, I no longer live my truth. I live yours. I no longer do me. I'm following you. And he started to pose this question, or these questions right here. What if you did not go and plant your own church? What if you didn't go do your thing with your logo and your name in your city? And what if you you trust me with your future and follow me into it? Because I had been working at Red Rocks Church at the time in 2016 for a few years at that point. And we knew, we were like, we, we love this church, the DNA, the culture. We're just going to go to San Diego and copy and paste it there. And so basically what we heard from God is, well, what if you guys took the DNA and culture, but what if you stayed in the family? And what if you built Red Rocks Church, not your idea But those guys from back in 2005, by by the way, Red Rocks was started in Denver by a group of friends who moved from Illinois to Denver in 2005. And so when you hear us kind of talk about Denver or Brussels, that's because you have family. Like this is so much bigger than just the people in this room at this service. What God's doing through Red Rocks Church started 15, 14 years ago in Denver. And we have amazing leaders who were just trying to like do what they did essentially And God is saying, well, what if you do what they did, but what if you built their dream? What if it wasn't your dream? Can you lay down your logo? It's a big deal, though, because that that symbolizes a lot of stuff. And can you stand on their shoulders and build the dream of that group of friends? And can you do it in Austin, Texas? We came out here to visit Austin, Texas, and immediately fell in love with it and decided, okay, we're going to build a Red Rocks church. It's not going to be in San Diego. It's going to be in Austin. And we've seen nothing but evidence for why we came here since coming here. Like, it's almost like God said, like, if you go with the grain of the story I'm trying to write through you, (laughs) Like, it's going to be hard. Planting a church is hard, but there will be fruit that will just be easy, not because you're awesome, but because I am, and you're going with the grain of the story that I'm trying to write. But that took saying, hey, Jesus, you're Lord, and we'll get, okay, we'll give that up and trade our dream for your dream. 
We'll trade our dream for your dream. And that, like, here's why that's so weird. And here's why, like, man, when you start following Jesus, you will look weird to the world. Because you're, you're saying there's an invisible God out there who's going to call the shots in your life. And you're going to say no to some stuff and say yes to some other stuff because an invisible God you think he's telling you to. Like, that looks weird. You have free will, man. We have free will to do whatever we want to today. But when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying, I, I, got, I, I can't see you. I might look crazy, but I'm going to take this and use it to honor you and glorify you and just try to follow you as best as I can. But it goes against the grain. It goes against the air that we breathe here. All right, and let me just show you what I mean. Like, let's put, let's put uh, Psalm 115, verse 3. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to just to prove this point, and I'm, I'm preaching to me too. We're going to read a couple verses. I just want you to listen to these and pay attention to, like, how you feel. Specifically, the flesh part of you, not the soul part of you, okay? Our God is in heaven. That's great. That's, that's beautiful. That's fine. Oh, but check this. He does whatever pleases him. Literally could translate to, he does whatever he wants. So if he wants to do it, he'll just do it. And if he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't do it. Daniel 4, verse 35 says this. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and, catch this, the peoples of the earth. That's you and me. And he does whatever he wants to with us, with the peoples of the earth. And nobody, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody can say to this Jesus, what, what have you done? Like you can, you can shake your fist at heaven, doesn't matter. You can, you can threaten to sue God. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Like, what, what court are you going to take Jesus to if you're unhappy with the way he's choosing to run his universe, right? And this is like, okay. Because immediately we're thinking like, well, he can't do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> I mean, I got rights, man. And that's true. In the amazing country that we live in, you have rights. In front of our Lord... Jesus, you don't. Now, he's a good Lord, ultimate authority, all of it in the universe, and he doesn't use it as a dictator. Exhibit A, the free will he gave you. Because he understands love is only possible if there's choice involved. Forced love is called abuse. God is not abusive. He is love. Therefore, he gives free will. And when we sing that song, the overwhelming, reckless love of God, that's what I think about. A God who gives free will to an entire planet of broken people sounds reckless to me. However, also the only way true love is possible. We have a good God. 
And I'm not trying to make us small. I'm trying to make him big. I hope you get my heart today. Because the bigger he gets, the better we are. The bigger your Lord and King and Savior gets, the more okay you're going to be today. I promise. But why does this go against like the air that we breathe, right? To say Jesus can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it and I don't have rights in front of him. I would argue it's because we are the great grandchildren of something called the Enlightenment, which was a movement that started in the 1700s in France. And basically what happened is, is people, um, they, they got tired and fed up with the inconsistencies and failures of the church. And there was some serious trust issues there, rightfully so. They could have used some religion rehab like seriously, but rather than learning to trust the church and God again, essentially they said, well, well, we'll do it. We'll figure it out on our own. We don't need a God to tell us what to do. Look at, look at the hypocrisy. Look at all the flaws. So we will use reason and logic to make the world better and make ourselves happier. Matt Chandler has this quote. He says, the problem with the Enlightenment is for the first time in history, on a massive scale, man's eyes turned away from the divine and onto himself. And he was not created or built to live like that. And so our world has gotten better since then. Like sometimes we see old movies and glamorize like, oh, back in the day, I wish I lived back then. Like you don't. Because here, like you get to live longer than 40 years. Right, like the world's gotten better, it's improved medically, scientifically, technologically. We have In-N-Out Burger and Alexa. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's and Top Golf. Like it is so much better. It is so much better. And on the flip side of that same coin, statistically, less happy than we've ever been historically. And I would argue, in spite of all the, like, progression of humanity, our eyes have not been on the divine collectively in a few hundred years. And this is, like, this is the air we breathe in the United States. Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, students of the Enlightenment, this, this idea of, like, intrinsic value and my rights, which is good. Like, there was good that came out of it. I don't want to demonize it. But it's also why we read verses like that and something like we get nervous a little bit. Like, well, he can't do anything he wants to do. No, he can do anything he wants to do. He is Lord of all. And so for us... Back to the story of Red Rocks, it was okay. Well, what if we trust this Lord? What if we trust this God who has all authority with our, our biggest dream that we've ever had? Literally our futures. And really quick, I, I really, just in case like you're, you're in a season where you're trying to like figure out God left or right, where are you leading me? Like you, you're not powerful enough to mess up his plans for your life, okay? I don't know who needed to hear that. The, the older I get, the, like the more and more I know that you following Jesus is not like he's leaving breadcrumbs. And like you better, you better find him or else you're going to fall behind or mess up his plan. You better go left if he's saying left and not right. Like I, I, I firmly believe God is like, why else would he give you free will? He is interested in building your future with you. But there are those times when 
He's saying, will you let me be the Lord of your future? And so we came here, and we've seen nothing but evidence for why we've been here. In our leadership back in Denver, they're the perfect example of this because, like, they, 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 they do the same thing. Like, if we can, if we can talk meta, met, uh, metaphorically, I was going to say metamorphically, that's a rock type. <laughs> metaphorically, it's <laughs> good, yeah. It's prophetic somehow. Somebody research that. Um, our leaders back in Denver gave us free will to, like, hey, go wherever you want, first of all. I talked to Sean Johnson. He's our senior pastor. I was like, Sean, how do we know what city to go to? It's a big decision. And he said, oh, here's a, here's a story. Like Jesus would just tell a story. I took my son to Target to buy Legos this morning. And he didn't know which one to pick. And I said, son, if you pick that one, will it be awesome? Yeah, dad. Okay, if you pick that one, will it be awesome? Yeah, dad. Okay, so then just pick a Lego box. Go pick a city. It'll be awesome. I was like, great. Yeah, that's really helpful. But... Um, <laughs> But seriously, like that, I'm talking that kind of free will and freedom with this whole thing. Like we could probably make a case this week. I could go to him and all of our leaders back there and say, we're supposed to change the name of Red Rocks. We're supposed to take it in a completely different direction. And they'd probably be like, okay, we trust you guys. Go ahead and do it. Like that, the opposite of micromanagers in every way possible. Like hold everything like this as far as ascending church goes. And that's, by the way, that's not normal. For Sean, when he went and did that 15 years ago, he, he walked into his pastor's, his boss's office and said, I feel like I'm being called to move with my wife and some friends to Colorado to start this church. And his pastor and boss said, well, if that's what God's telling you, then why don't you go pack up your desk and go next week? With no, but with no resources, no sending, essentially you're fired because you're leaving. And that's way more common than you'd think. Another one of our leaders back in Denver, he did the same thing and told his boss and that boss essentially fired him and brought him up on stage the week after to give him a send off, handed him an envelope on stage and said, this is our gift to you. Later, he opened it and it was empty. And so that explains why we have experienced the exact opposite in our story. Like, they have completely broken possibly a lineage of bad fathers, if you will. Completely broken it and done the exact opposite. I love stories like that of people, of men and women saying, we're going to break the lineage and we're going to do it the kingdom of God way, which is why we have everything that we have, the fact that we get to do this and the fact that there's so many things we don't have to worry about in this first year is because they are good. Wait, I'll just, I'll say it this way. Good fathers give freedom and free will. And say, it's about the kingdom, not Red Rocks Church. It's about the kingdom. And so you go and let us know how we can help. Like the prodigal son, that whole story from Luke 15, the father in that story did not stop his son when his son asked for his inheritance early and used it to go off to like a far off land and squander it on lavish living and sin. The father did not stop him. 
held his son with open hands, all of his resources with open hands, and scanned the horizon every day waiting for his son to come back. That's a good father, which got me thinking, can you imagine the deadly combination of having good fathers and good sons and daughters? Fathers who essentially say, here's all the freedom in the world to do with what you want. And sons and daughters who say, the more freedom you give, the more I just want to stay home. And the more I don't want to, I don't want to venture far. I don't want to go against the grain of this story that you're writing. The freedom just makes me want to stay more. The more and more free will you lavish upon me, the more and more I want to use it not for sin, but to glorify him because he's not just Savior, he's Lord. Jesus is Lord. And it is our calling not just to believe in him, but to follow him. Good fathers, good sons and daughters. And so I want to challenge you. My question for you this week is, is what, what is it? Where, where does Jesus need to be Lord in your life that you haven't been letting him? And this is everybody, by the way. So you're in good company with every Christian when you're thinking of stuff right now. Where in your life has Jesus been like your buddy, but not your Lord? When was the last time you let God disagree with you on something? I've heard it said, we made, God made man in his image and now man is returning the favor because our gods our jesus tends to look a lot like we do because that's how we want him because that jesus doesn't challenge us or cross us or make us change anything about our lives where in your life has jesus been your buddy but not lord for you authority is his when was the last time you let him crush you on something and disagree with you on something or change something about your life? When was the last time you did not get your own way? Oh my gosh, I am so, like, I am so grateful with this church plant, we did not get our own way. <laughs> I'm so grateful to be standing here and to be surrounded by my family in my new favorite city in the country, Austin, Texas, with all of you, because this was not my way, and I'm so glad I did not get my way. I'm so glad that Jesus is Lord and he crosses us and he says, give me that, do that. I'm trying to line you up, buddy. I promise you, you can go against the grain. Look at the prodigal son, but you will get splinters. I'll still be there. I'll still be scanning the horizon, but I am more for your joy and your peace and your life and your happiness than you could ever imagine. If you let me be your Lord, I believe there's a wave of even signs and wonders heading our way in the West. And not in the coming months, in the coming decades. However, I know stuff like that, waves of signs and wonders, they invade holy spaces. And Jesus says, Lord, is on the lookout right now for communities of faith who take holiness and character seriously. Who aren't just like, well, I'm going to heaven forever one day, so whatever. 
But I'm like, no, no, no. I'm lining myself up with how God designed the universe in the here and now. It's his. Everything is his. He was there in the beginning. John chapter 1 says that Jesus, who is the word, capital W, the word, was there in the beginning. In the beginning, just him. And he just speaks, starts talking, and everything just like light explodes out of his mouth at the speed of light in every single direction. And to this day, is still doing that. That's the expanding universe, which means once upon a time, there was no such thing as the universe, no such thing as galaxies or planets or earth or the moon or mountains or the ocean or, or the animal kingdom or humanity. And now there is all because he talked and that was it. Creation is his. And Kierkegaard has a quote where he says, there's not a square inch of creation that Jesus does not rightfully stand over and go, mine. And by the way, Job 26 says, all creation, everything that you see is the fringes of his power and creativity, which is, which is essentially God saying to all of us, church, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's just the beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. All of creation is his because he made it, which means he's horrifyingly sovereign over all of it. Creation does what the creator tells it to do. Do weather patterns do what he says? Yes. Does disease do what he says? Yes. Does Satan do what he says? Yes. Does he argue back? Never. He told a, a guy who was dead for three days to stand up and the guy did. He told food to multiply and it did. He told a, a fig tree, he cursed it and it shriveled up. Creation listens to the creator because the creator is Lord. The Lord and all of the universe's authority is rightfully, rightfully his. And I promise you, that's exactly where you want it. You want all authority to be his. You want him to be, to be big. You want him to be sovereign. You want him to be in control. You want him to be reckless with his free will because that opens up the possibility for true love between you and this Lord, this God who was there in the very beginning, this Jesus who is king, actually wants, all he wants is a relationship from you. That's all he wants, not trying to take anything from you, not trying to rob your fun, just simply trying to line you up and get you to go with the grain of the story he wants to write in the universe that he designed. We say, Jesus, you are Lord. So this free will that you gave me, I now use to glorify you. Any rights I have are given to me by you. And I move forward, not able to help myself from speaking about what I've seen and heard. He's too good. Would you guys stand up? Father, I pray you would reveal to us each individually, Jesus, maybe the areas of our lives where we, where you are not Lord, at least in our hearts, in our minds, at least not through our actions or our words. I pray against condemnation, none of that. Shame and guilt, you can be gone in the name of Jesus. You're a waste of time. I pray for a wooing conviction that senses there's more if we can let you be Lord of specific areas of our lives. 
as a church, as a body of believers, as a family, as a community, if there are areas of what we're building and where we're heading, where you are, are, are you're, you're our buddy, but you're not a Lord, would you reveal that to us? Because I know you say, consecrate yourselves today because tomorrow I'm doing amazing things. I believe you're on the lookout for communities of believers who are willing to do that and look at an invisible God and say, you call the shots in my life. You decide how I handle all this stuff. Through groups like that, the ceiling is off through what you can do. We make you big in our lives and in our church. We make you Lord. We pray this in the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus Christ.